Hello and welcome to the Evolution of Business podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Brady, and I'm here today with Justin Copey. As CEO of Innovative Solutions, Justin is leading the bold move forward, instilling growth in employees and inspiring change well beyond the four walls of Innovative. Yet the 65 people working at Innovative don't work for him. He works for them. As CEO and leader, Justin provides safety and direction, safety in voicing opinions, trying new things and failing, and direction in where to go on the path to success. He serves others in cultivating a culture where people can come to work every day feeling safe and free to do what they love to do, and in turn, helping Innovative reach its vision. Thanks so much for joining us today, Justin. Thanks, Andrew. Appreciate it. So I was trying to think about where to start with this uh, conversation, and I think a good place might be, uh, you know, as you were mentioning, Innovative started before, uh, before you, uh, you know, so you were not the, the founder of Innovative. And so tell us a little bit about your career path, how you got involved, how you started at Innovative, and, and what brought you to where you are today. The story goes, I was a young 20 years old at RIT, and I needed... Uh, I needed a co-op desperately. And it was an interesting time. It was 2003, and the market was not so hot for co-ops. RIT was just starting to think about actually lifting the co-op requirement to graduate. I was in my third year, and I landed on this little company here in Rochester, New York, uh, called Innovative Solutions, located in Winton Place, um, about 15 to 20 employees. And they had an opening for a co-op position that uh, that I applied for. And after f- a, my fifth round of interviewing with Innovative, uh, I was finally offered the job. And I found out later I was actually the second choice. So I was, <laughs> I was technically the runner-up for uh, for the role. But, um, yeah, I, I came into the company at a very different time. 2003, technology was very different. Business in general was different. Um, and it served as this amazing place, this breeding ground for not just me, but amazing tech talent uh, here in Rochester, many of which have gone off to start their own businesses um, and have these incredible careers. And I had the good fortune of having some amazing mentors during my time at Innovative. Um, and then it worked uh, worked actually through a five-year succession plan uh, from 2010 through 2015 and ultimately acquired the business in 2016. So it's been a journey, no question. Question. Yeah, yeah. And, and so how long were you there uh, before you started this succession plan? How did you get, was it based on your own um, initiative or, or, or how did you get to be the, the one that was going to be uh, the, this future owner? So there were, there were actually four others that were, that were slated to uh, consider buying the company, wanted to, uh, to be owners of the business. The, the company has a history of always having partners um, at one time, as many as seven. And uh, as an IT consultancy, uh, there's a there's a few things. So we typically have had in our past um, very technical oriented ownership. Um, the one exception being Bob Titus, who was our prior CEO and, and owner of the business, um, dear friend and mentor of mine. Uh, Bob was not technical a day in his life. And Bob brought operational skills. Bob brought financial management skills. But probably the most important thing Bob brought to the table was this 
enormous thirst for and curiosity for the human element and making sure that everything we did as a company was people first. And so uh, I grew up in the business with these four other individuals, among others, who, um, who wanted to buy the company. And as we went through the succession planning process starting in 2010, uh, it became a matter of, well, what does it really mean to be an owner? Um, if I have equity in a company, uh, is that enough or is that too much? And what I mean by that, what we started to discover were there were a lot of people that wanted equity in the company, but what they really wanted was the upside of equity. They didn't want to have to write a check if we couldn't make <laughs> payroll. Um, they didn't want to take the risk uh, and have to make really hard decisions. And so how did it all ended up shaking out? Um, I, in 2014, was the only one left really willing and able uh, to go through a buyout process. And so it became this extremely intimate process with, uh, with the ownership at that time between them and me uh, to figure out a way to, to make um, some kind of buyout happen. And um, with some really good fortune, with a ton of hard work from all, everybody who was involved in the process and uh, for, for a strong lending community, quite frankly, here in Rochester, I was able to do a full buyout of, uh, at that time, three partners that owned the business, Bob Titus included. And um, as part of the, the, the deal, I, I asked all three to stay on board and make sure that they felt like they could focus on what they really knew in their heart was going to give them fulfillment every single day. And um, all three stayed on board, which was incredible and, and, and really helped us continue to grow, which has been awesome. It's, it's a really interesting story because, you know, you're mentioning uh, Bob always being interested in the, in the culture aspect or the, the people aspect or at least this, this curiosity. But I've certainly seen, you know, in the community, and we'll probably spend most of our time today talking about how you all at Innovative are really taking this to a, to a whole other level. And so I'm curious, was this something beyond Bob's curiosity? Was culture always a focus or has it been something that, that you really keyed in on as you were starting to take over? Or how did Innovative become what it is today, not only in the culture side, but also kind of the community engagement side and all the other projects that you're working on? It's a good question. I actually get asked this more frequent than not um, for people who just learn about us or they wonder kind of if we just came out of left field, like, where, where have you been? Um, I don't think that I brought anything to the table that was extremely novel. Um, I also don't think that I brought a new focus for the business. I think, if anything, all I did was I just got louder. I mean, the company, when, when I came in and we were, I was employee number 19 uh, back in 2003, the company had a very, 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 very strong focus on making sure people in the organization, the employees of Innovative, were both empowered to always do the right thing, um, but also find their path. There, there was always this notion that uh, there's, there's not a defined career path for any one individual. We write our own story. Um, and Paul McMahon, the founder of the business, uh, he very much believed in that. He, um, as I suggested earlier, he, he was always an engineering type. He was actually an accountant by trade, but he loved interacting directly with customers. And he really depended on the people that worked beside him and around him in the business and ultimately for him in the business um, to have that same sense of ownership and, and accountability in all of, all of their dealing and their work. And I think naturally that lent itself to a culture that was really people-centric. Um, 
the, the, the business always differentiated off of the fact that we deliver these amazing technology services. Like we, we transform companies by leveraging technology, but the secret has always been we focus on, on people first. Technology is always second. And really changing the order um, of that equation, that, that was long before me. I mean, and the companies, I mean, going back to 1989 when we were founded, I mean, we were, we were doing amazing things. At that time on IBM AS400s and these green screen applications, we weren't <laughs> working in the world that we're working today, but we apply the same exact principles uh, that we were then now. Yeah, that that was definitely something that you, you know you mentioned that that people first and then technology and and talking about I pulled this straight from your website when I was kind of doing my research for for today was that the real promise of future technology is driven by people and that's a that's a different message than you typically hear and, and something that um, I, I think it it's one thing to say it and it's another thing to to start to live it. Uh, but you also key in both in, in your introduction, but also just in some of the things that I've that I've read about you. Uh, the, those two key responsibilities for yourself as CEO. You're talking about providing safety and direction. Uh, you know that's definitely easier said than done. I, I know that probably one of the most common things is to talk about how it's okay to fail, you know, in, in companies. But then when somebody actually screws up and maybe it costs some money, uh, the way that the leader reacts makes it pretty clear that it's not okay to fail. So, so tell us a little bit about how you go from saying, I'm trying to create safety, it's okay to fail, um, to, to actually doing it. Well, I mean, you interview a lot of people. So I think, Andrew, you, you know that the most successful leaders, some of the most amazing people that uh, not only that you've interviewed, but that you've had a chance to meet. I remember you posted a picture with Mark Cuban and you had an elevator ride with you remember? Yeah. That was oh, maybe yeah. a year or two ago. Yeah. I, Good memory. I mean, that you, you know that great leaders, they have this ability um, to make the people around them feel inspired in their own way. My, my whole shtick from the beginning has been really, really simple. So I work in this in this amazing industry, technology, which by all accounts um, is just one of the most, if not the most single-handedly, the industry that's changing the world. I mean, there's, there's, there's really no other industry that's doing what technology is doing. I mean, you look at the adoption of cloud, you look at all these amazing things. Every company is our technology company these it is, days. It is amazing. And I, we, you know, we've, we've been saying that for a while, and now people are like, yeah, obviously. <laughs> you know, everybody wants to create their version of, of what Amazon is doing in their industry or their business or what Uber is doing in, in their industry. So... I, re- I reference that because I'm in this world where I'm surrounded by brilliant people. Like, like seriously, if you come to my office and you meet our people, they are brilliant. They are the smartest people walking around this community. And, and it's, it's incredible. The reality is I'm not this guy walking around with all of this intellect. I don't, I, I didn't go to school and get straight A's. I, um, when I have conversations with our engineering team, I'm, I'm like, I'm just as odd as our customers are. Like, like it's just constantly, I'm always in this environment where, um, I feel like I'm a fish out of water and I'm, I'm really transparent about that with our folks. So when I look at leading the business, I could try to front in front of everybody and be like, hey, I've got the greatest ideas. I've got the most brilliant X or I have the quickest way we can do Y. But I don't have those ideas. I have 
really two things in my control that, quite frankly, I've I've learned through again a lot of great mentorship and a ton of failing on my own. I can articulate a vision because I've been trained and developed and worked with and and I'm continuing to 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 develop that skill. So articulating a vision and explaining to people where we're going and giving people real clear paths on how to get there holistically and then allowing them to figure out where they fit into that that uh, that bigger picture. And if you know me and you and I know each other fairly well, I'll go toe-to-toe with anyone. Hmm. I love to compete, and I love the market, and I love customers because clients are always the ones that that will tell you whether or not something's valuable or not. The, the customer is a one or a zero. They're, they're, they're either on or they're off. And so I grew up in that environment, and I, I really appreciate it. So when I tell our folks, listen, I've got your back 110%, 110% I have your back – I know that deep down they believe, first of all, they're, that we're moving in the right direction. And second of all, they've got somebody who's got their back no matter what. And I have hundreds of stories of where we've fallen short or we've screwed up or, I don't know, somebody's done something that maybe at another company they would have gotten you know, fired for. Um, but I think it's really important that you look at every opportunity where somebody goes through something really challenging and you, and you try to figure out where the silver lining is and most importantly, how they can grow. I mean, as a leader, I feel whole, wholeheartedly that's my responsibility. If I don't allow people to leave our company one day in a better place than when they came in, because I'm not sure everybody will always last forever. I mean, as a, as a, as a business owner, I'd love to think that the team I have today is going to be with me in 20 years. But if people decide to leave, the one question I always ask is, are they better off than when they came in? If the answer is yes, well, this was a success. So safety and direction, I mean, I, I don't know what else to focus on. Yeah, and, and being able to be the leader that, uh, that creates that kind of culture and then letting your, letting your people run with it. As you're mentioning, you know, it takes, takes a lot of pressure off of you of having to come up with all the brilliant ideas. If you just, you just give them the opportunity to experiment a little bit and maybe fail sometimes, of but probably course. more often than not, the, those failures are at least stumbling their way towards successes, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, no question. Yeah, and, and actually, um, Google did did some uh, some projects where they they tried to say what is what is it that sets our highest performing teams apart? And the number one thing that they found was psychological safety. You know, when when people are are in, which makes sense, but it was cool that they could you know show that with yeah. data to say you know. You know, when people are, feel comfortable making mistakes and they, like you were mentioning earlier, you know, things that may even get them fired elsewhere, but no, they, they tried it, they failed and they, they felt okay, you know, cause what, what do you do if, if it's not okay to make mistakes? Well, it's not going to keep mistakes from happening, so but if people will maybe sweep it under the rug or they won't tell their manager about it. And uh, it's, it's only hurting you in the long term. So true. So one of the things, you know, I, I think that um, if you're trying to be okay with with failure in your organization, one of the best ways to do it is to to show some of your own vulnerabilities and your own failures and your own struggles. And uh, another thing that I found when I was looking on your website to get ready for today, uh, you have an annual culture survey and and you are courageous enough to put that right out online for everybody to see. Um, so 
what what do you see as you know that that certainly shows you know some strengths. I, I think that there's certainly a lot more to celebrate there than than anything else. But you know, listeners, you can go on the Innovative Solutions website and not you know having any you don't need any password to to go see how their how their culture is doing. So why why did you why did you decide to do that? And, and what do you see as the value of being that you know radically transparent? Well, I I've had really good mentors that have not only expressed but demonstrated to me that transparency uh, really creates vulnerability. And vulnerability is this really interesting part of the human condition. Vulnerability gives us this opportunity to see in one another where we lack or, or ultimately where we're not as strong as maybe we want to be or we perceive ourselves to be. And the interesting part about it is that people relate much more to weakness than they do strength. So the logic would be if you're trying to lead, in my case, 75 people every single day toward a common goal, it really doesn't do me any good just to show where I am strong or where we as an organization are strong. It really makes a lot more sense for us just to be transparent and for not only for people to know what the rest of the organization is saying about the organization, what they like or what they don't like, um, but also what they don't like or what they like about me as a leader. And so one of the other things that we do, we don't share this on our website, um, but we do share it internally. We do uh, we do a number of surveys. One of the other surveys that we do is we survey our entire leadership team. And we ask eight questions, and they have to do with, they're very simple, but every employee just answers. It's, it's, a, it's a rating system for one to five, one being least agreed to five being most agreed. Um, and it's uh, questions like, uh, does Justin demonstrate empathy? Um, is Justin an effective CEO? Because the CEO's role is just the role I play doesn't define me as mm. Justin, right? Like it's just it's just the role I play today. One day I might not play that role anymore. But long story short, I expose all of the results of the uh, that folks give of me in that leadership team survey uh, to the entire organization. And in, and in some of the presentations and talks that I do, um, I'll actually pull up the results. Like I was just at RIT with a bunch of entrepreneurs and I, I showed them because somebody had asked. Again, what I find is that when I can just be completely transparent with people and let them know where I'm not the strongest or where I've got like a major weakness that quite frankly is debilitating if, if I focus on it or if I allow myself to go too far into it, um, A, it doesn't do me any good, but B, people tend to tend to relate much more with a weakness. They'll, they'll, see, they'll see me, for instance, and they'll say, Okay, so Justin realizes that uh, he can demonstrate empathy more. It's like empathy is just one thing that like, I work really, really hard at. I get coaching for it. Mm. I read a lot about it. I am constantly self-auditing. Empathy is this, um, is this skill set that I don't think I naturally just came out of the womb with. I think I came out of the womb with other things in my DNA, not, not empathy. It's just not, it's not one of the things that, uh, that from a very, fairly young age, it's not something I was ever identified as, Justin's a really empathetic <laughs> person. 
So empathy is this area that I'm like going really deep into and asking for feedback. And when there's a really critical situation or somebody comes to me with an emotional situation, I'll ask like after the fact, like how am I being or how was I in that situation? Give me feedback because if I don't know, I, I can't do anything to change it. And what's amazing, Andrew, is people relate. People straight up just they relate to that. And what I find is that they take that on. So to get to your question about well, why why the hell would you put culture survey results on your website? Some things that aren't necessarily totally flattering. Well, I really have two reasons. Number one, for all the reasons I just described, that I think transparency, really demonstrating vulnerability and giving candidates or customers that, that see that an opportunity to either relate or choose not to relate, I think that's really important. And the other thing is, you know what? If I don't publish our own stuff, it's going to get published one way or the other, whether that be another outlet, social media, or something else. Uh, we live in a very, very different world today where I think it's extremely hard to cover up anything. I mean, it, it just kind of is what it is. Um, and everybody's got an opinion, and I think we need to respect that. So, Yeah, I think that's one of, th- one of the things that brings this approach, um, you know, greater success and only building momentum is that, you know, th- those that have been doing the right things for a long time, uh, you know, now – the, the transparency of having your phone in your pocket and being able to broadcast things around the world or, or you know, the kind of going viral from what used to be just word of mouth of me telling a few friends, um, you know, whether it's a good experience or a bad experience, it can get shared really quickly. And so the transparency, uh, you, you can't hide from it. So you might as well embrace it. So true. So true. I'm with you 100% on that. Uh, you know, as you were as you were talking, I was also trying to think of you know measuring what matters is really important. Uh, you know, how do you how do you measure something? Yes, it's very important to make a profit so that you can keep the business going and, and do all these other great programs and you know pay the bills. Um, but the culture survey seems like it's another measurement tool that you use. So. Has there been anything, uh, any other ways that that you measure success? Is you know, what are some of the things that you put on that survey of, of that you're trying to learn from? Yes, the so the culture surveys, we, and we do three of them a year just to get a pulse of what's going on, and and we talk very openly. We have a, a weekly all staff where um, all of the employees come into the office uh, on a Friday at one o'clock to uh, to hear. Uh, really about three things, what's going on in the business, where the next uh, new customers are, are coming from, and ultimately something about the culture. But we we, t- we, we bookend that meeting um, at the beginning and the end with an opportunity for people to comment or ask questions about anything that's in their, on their mind. And I find that that's also another great way just to kind of get things out in the open. Um, one of the things I learned as an entrepreneur early on was if you let things fester – they will they will eat your culture. I mean, like straight up, they will just eat away at it, and you won't even know it's happening. And that's um, to to a leader or to somebody part of a leadership team that's working really hard to move the business forward. Um, culture will just completely get destroyed if you don't address it and you don't tend to it. Um, I talk a lot when I when, when I speak uh, publicly about the fact that I go to therapy. Well, one of the things my therapist Mark and I talk to, talk about is it's this old story, and I won't bore you with it. But 
He talks about tending to lettuce. Lettuce needs to be tended to to grow properly. And so I think about my relationships frequently. I think about my relationships with my employees. I think about my relationships with the seven or eight really important people in my life that I have to make sure that I'm always there for um, because they're always there for me. And I think about the relationships of our clients and how we tend to each of those relationships like lettuce and talking openly, measuring things that can be measured because there's a lot of things that just you can't or they're way too subjective to make a decision on. Um, and and culture is a funny thing because there are metrics, but getting a benchmark for those metrics can be challenging. I'll give you a for instance. So we measure... Uh, NPS, net promoter score, mm-hmm. across our customers. We want to know how likely our customers are to refer us to somebody else to do business with. Um, that's a that's a fairly straightforward measurement in the sense that you can Google every major te- tech company's NPS score. You can see what has worked and what hasn't worked in deploying NPS across customer bases. When it comes to culture, measuring whether or not Offering an effective or ineffective benefits plan um, is enjoyable or wanted by your employees. That's a really relative measurement. It's relative really to your organization. It's relative to what's going on locally in your economy. It's relative to your industry. It's relative to your demographic. It's relative to so many different things. And so what we find is that over the years, we've, we've, constantly tested and and surveyed and tried to gain metrics um, beyond the normal financial stuff, beyond the normal client satisfaction-related measures. And we've really tried to dig into metrics for us that make sense. So we've now created an ENPS. So we want to know how likely are our employees to recommend their friends or colleagues, coworkers, or somebody they might meet at a restaurant to come work at Innovative Solutions. I mean, it's a really interesting metric. And so we measure that EMPS, and we've done that now for the last two years. Um, we measure, uh, here's another one. This is just, we, we, we found that this was really important for us. We, we measure how many opportunities in working with clients we disqualify, and if we don't, we find that if we don't disqualify enough opportunity with customers, like discount it straight up, not not from a price standpoint, but like we're not going to move forward with a proposal for that customer or for that prospect. Di- di- disqualifying the right amount is a really important measure because otherwise we're just serving the broad market without focus. So you know, as as an entrepreneur, you you learn along the way, and I think a lot of these things also evolve. Maybe we won't. S- still track ENPS in the future. I don't know. Um, but ENPS right now is one of the ones that it's fascinating for me. I think it's brilliant. I, I, you know, net promoter score, how many of your customers would recommend you is probably one of the most talked about metrics. Uh, but I don't, I don't know that I've heard anybody talking about EMPS. And so I think that's, I think that's brilliant. Um, you know, that's that's really how you how a lot of these conscious capitalism companies, quite frankly, they attract the best and they retain the best because people love working there. They want to recruit their friends. So yeah. I think that's really smart. Well, and you've probably met some of these companies, I would assume, when you go into the national conference or other places sure. or some of your own clients. You know, creating your own metric, I think, is is okay. I mean, I think that's a good thing. You create the metric for you and what makes sense for your employees and for your business measure it. And you can't manage anything if you're not measuring it. I mean, that's a, it's a common adage in, in business. You have to be able to measure things. And so, but just chasing the normal metrics or chasing the ones that are published, I, I, think you're, I think you're shortchanging yourself and shortchanging your business. 
So you're you're talking about adages in business, and and you know I that's definitely one. If you can measure it, you can manage it, or yeah. if you can measure it, you can improve it. Um, that there's kind of some other adages that that I think sometimes get talked about, but maybe not lived. You know, a lot of a lot of employees or a lot of. Uh, CEOs rather say that oh our employees are our greatest asset um, and, and certainly you say that as well um, but I've I'm not sure I've seen many people um, live it as much but also you know in, invest as if that's the case because if you have your greatest asset and you're not investing in it then uh, then you're you're it's it's silly and and it's clearly only lip service so I'm I'm curious you know you invest a lot in your employees you invest a lot in the in the community and different initiatives that you're having. Um, but what kinds of things do you do that um, you know maybe in the short term might be a, a cost or an investment um, that you know may not be great for you know the the profitability that month or kind of in the short term, but you felt like we really have to put our people first or our purpose or our culture first, and uh, and you know obviously I think you and I both believe that. The, the ROI is there in the long term, but is there, has there been any kind of stories of when you had to kind of prioritize, make a tough decision uh, in for for the short term profits, but that in the long term was right for your your people and your culture? Yeah, probably the biggest uh, that that some of the folks who know me well that they certainly know about, and certainly our employees know about. Um, I bought the business in 2016, early 2016, and um, by mid year right around July, August timeframe, it was very evident as we were rolling out our new strategy map for the future and with all these strategic objectives that the employees had created and um, and as our leadership team had gotten ready to, to, to execute on, it was very clear we needed to be fair and upfront with everyone that if this wasn't for them, they not only had an opportunity to leave, but we would help them. And the the thinking that you might not have every you might not have everyone on the bus crossed my mind a lot that summer. I'll I'll never forget it. Um, I had never been in in a business ownership role or a CEO role prior to this point. I questioned a lot of my own abilities, as I continue to do today. Didn't have a lot of scar tissue built up and knew that I needed to make a major statement to the organization that basically, listen, if you're not ready to renew the vows, we've been married. We're going to go through some renewing of the vows right now. If you're not ready to do that, we need to split. That was tough. That was really, really hard. Um, And it was not a wise move financially for us in the short term. Um, Unbelievably, though, I didn't receive a whole heck of a lot of criticism from folks on my advisory board who understood how businesses are run, from the consultants that work with us that do coaching and development. Um, What what I ended up doing was I I literally, in September of 2016, I, I asked everybody to go interview for a new job. Um, the RBJ, the Rochester Business Journal, they did a, a piece on it because um, it was really unorthodox. And um, I told everyone, I really would appreciate if you go out into the market and you apply for a new job. And if the grass is greener, I, w- I would respect if you came back with really one of two options or both, and we can talk about it. But the first option being, if it's if it really is greener on the other side, let's figure out how to get you there. And if 
you're not comfortable with that. Well, if the grass is really greener on the other side, maybe there's things that you're not doing here that you could be doing. Let's talk about that. So you don't have to leave. And uh, roughly three quarters of the organization took me up on the offer uh, Mm. to go interview. It was extremely scary. Um, And it got really nerve wracking that fall going into the winter because week after week, I had a friend leave the organization. And in total, I had 12, 12 people leave the company mm. that, um, that didn't align, that found, quite frankly, opportunity elsewhere that was more aligned. And I'll never forget this. People said to me as they were leaving, and everybody picked Friday, and everybody, and we never had two people leave this on the same Friday. So everybody wanted their week, which was, <laughs> which was also really telling of, the, of just the reality that that all of us as employees, we we want our opportunity to express what it is that's important to us. Very, very important like point that I took out of all of it. Everything communicated. All of the behaviors communicated things to me, and, um, and I'm eternally grateful for it. But people said to me on the way out, Justin, I love the company's vision where you're going, but I'm just not there with you now. And maybe in a couple of years when you get a little bit further, I love the opportunity to come back. I shook every single person's hand and I told them, I looked them straight in the eye and I said, you are more than welcome, more than welcome to come back. Call me if that ever aligns. Now, that wasn't the most popular thing to say among my leadership team. My my leadership team didn't necessarily agree with that because they had to pick up, obviously, the workload and all of the other things that come along with somebody leaving. But I do feel as though that those folks leaving our organization, not only did it help them get to a place where they were much better aligned and ultimately felt more fulfillment, but it it also opened up opportunities for us, 12 new positions that, quite frankly, the folks that came into our organization to fill those roles, they helped us raise the bar. So we went back to the recruit, the, the hardcore recruiting to bring the right people in, and it took us eight months to recover from that. So financially, I dragged our company into the mud. It was a really, really tough year. But I'll tell you, the people that stuck through it and the people that are st- still obviously with us today, man, it, it, showed, it showed quite a bit. Um, and I think it helped us all grow in a different way. But it, it cost us in the long run. or I'm sorry, in the short run. In the long run, I think it, it really, really has helped us be, be who we are and beyond a, even better and greater things. Wow. Yeah. I I, uh, I try to work that question into all of these interviews, and I can tell you that that is by far the, the most courageous, riskiest uh, riskiest uh, story that, that I've ever heard. And, and really glad to hear. I mean, I'm sure you've heard, you know, Tony Shea has something, you know, on a different kind of scale, but similar where, you know, you go through orientation at Zappos, and uh, they'll, they'll, they'll pay a few grand That's if it. you want to quit after going through it. Immediate severance, yeah. So, uh, so, so it's pretty it's pretty awesome that that, that was something that, that you took a risk on and, and maybe had to put your stake in the ground that you didn't have buy-in from all the leadership team or yeah. folks, and you said, no, this is important, and uh, and hopefully anyways, it, uh, it seems like it's, it's working out in, in the right way. No question. Oh, and the, and the leadership team that we have today, who's, who obviously was part of this whole process, they killed it, man. They, they were troopers. They were, and, and we all grew from it, and that was the most amazing part about our newly formed leadership team being able to grow together into such an, uh, just an immediate experience together. I mean, like I said, I just bought the business and this was w- within my first year I was doing this. So 
it was it was a wake up call for me. It was a wake up call for everybody in our organization. Um, you know what? And we we even we received feedback from our customers that were like, "What are you doing?" Like <laughs> some of these people, you know, they were really really valued by our customers, but. At the end of the day, it was super important that we do this, and um, I don't, I don't regret it for for a second. Okay, so so we're not maybe necessarily advocating for for everyone to go out and take that big of a risk. Although if if you if you're uh, willing to do it, who are we to stop you? But <laughs> but you know, even just some of the smaller things that are culture focused, that 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 more conscious capitalism approach. What do you think keeps keeps more business owners? You know, I think we're both in in pretty uh, pretty strong agreement that it it's a good thing for the for the long term and, and there is an ROI to it. Um, but it's definitely not the mainstream. So so what do you think, or, or maybe how do you try to talk to your fellow business owners and maybe convince them uh, that you know this is something you should be doing because because it's definitely not uh, it's not the norm. No, it's it's not the norm, and I I don't pretend that it's the right solution for, for every culture problem. I mean, we, we had a, an immediate problem in front of us. I, I think if we weren't timed with our strategy rollout at that point too, I don't know if we would have went to such an extreme, but you know, to any business owner, you know, being, being people first is, it's so hard. It, it, it is so difficult. I was just talking to somebody last week, and I, I was saying, I get it. I almost, I almost did a post uh, on social about it, but I knew I caused too much controversy, so I reserved. Uh, I'll share just a, a sliver of it. But, um, you know, I was going to say something along the, the lines of, I, I get I understand why so many, peop- so many companies aren't people first and, and choose to focus on things that, in my opinion, aren't nearly as important, like creating a sustainable business that's around for 90 years, not 90 days, not nine years, not you know nine months, um, being able to uh, help people grow and and be proud of the fact when somebody leaves your organization and they, they leave and they go to do something even greater than what they did for you, like that should give you butterflies. That shouldn't give you anxiety. Um, but but I get I understand why so many businesses don't take the the approach because it's a lot easier being money centric. It's a lot easier focusing on a one or a zero binary. It's a lot easier um, always just siding with a customer because that's who writes the check versus well no hang on a second maybe our customer doesn't understand something maybe our people actually do have it right on something uh, which I find that we do often that we we both have something to learn. Um, but that's not easy. That's hard to, to look a customer in the face and say, hey, listen, you know, our people went above and beyond for you and and they they really did mean well by whatever it was. We're going to take care of you. Um, that that's, that's hard versus just saying to a customer, no, you have to pay the bill or just saying to an employee, no, you're fired for screwing up. Um, you know, and here's, here's the punchline kind of underneath all of this. I don't know. I don't know how long I'll be a business owner. I don't know how long I'll I'll be an entrepreneur. I don't know um, how many people I'll have the opportunity to lead. But I do think that this will be the trend. More and more businesses will start paying attention to the fact that it's a people game at the end of the day. Doing what's right, understanding that people really are underneath all of it, and you can't just run a business based on financials and um 
and these other metrics that that don't have nearly as much long-term weight as things that are culturally influenced, uh, I, I think that's the shift. I really believe it. I believe it for generational reasons. I believe it for cultural reasons that we're seeing, not just in the United States, but abroad. I, and I also believe that um, technology, quite frankly, is a huge, huge underpinning to getting companies to focus on really what matters. Because a lot of what we do as human beings today in our jobs, in our work, a lot of it's becoming automated. A lot of it's becoming digitized. So you got you got to focus on things that really matter. People matter, and and that's the part that no technology will ever replace, at least in our lifetime. And for me, that's that's why I'm I'm oftentimes I'm baffled. And this is why I don't do posts about it because hmm. I think I'll I'll get people a little uh, a little agitated. But uh, but it's I'm truly passionate about it. Yeah, you know I'll say certainly I I certainly agree with that. Um, but I think it means a lot when it comes from, from the business owner and, and you not only in your words, but, but in your actions and in some of your, some of your crazy bets, as we were just talking yeah. about, you know, you really, uh, you really prove it. So I, you mentioned though, as we were just chatting, um, you know, not just being a, a leader in your business and not just being a leader for, you know, the, the people inside your walls, but there's a lot that you've been doing, um, to be a, a thought leader in the community, I'd say, you know, and, and we're really, I, I'm really grateful to, to, to have you and we're really lucky to have you in Rochester as that, that thought leader for more conscious culture, um, the, the different initiatives that you have. And so I'd like to talk about a few of those initiatives that you have outside of the, the walls of innovative solutions. One being a couple of years ago, starting the, the Rochester tech conference. Um, so how did that how, how did that come into play? You know, what gave you the idea to do that? And, and why do you think it's important to, uh, to really grow that community? So I got I to gotta give you a shout out because you are an inspiration to me as much as I may be to anybody. I, I look at what you're doing with organizations like RYP, Rochester Young Professional Network, and, and other organizations here locally. And I'm inspired by the fact that you've taken a position to be a leader through serving others and setting an example for many, many more folks to follow, not just young professionals, but our community as a whole. And, and the tech conference was, was an idea that spawned out of us wanting to make sure that we were, we were influencing the community as we grew as a business in a positive way, but it was also out of necessity. It's very similar to why I believe, Andrew, you've and you've expressed some of this to me over the years, why you've taken a really active stance in some of the things that you believe in. There has been a gap. And just like you get involved in things that there's just there was a gap with respect to getting as loud as you have been with some of the organizations you you've done. I felt a very, very similar feeling for many, many years doing business in this community for the last 15 years. I watch our tech community go really just not talked about. And it, and, it, and it really started to irritate me when I looked at what our competitors were doing, how they viewed the market. And uh, one of the first things that I did after buying the business um, is I called all of my competition. And I thought about this after the fact, um, like – what if, and Ray Isaac may do this, but what if Ray Isaac, who owns Isaac Heating and Cooling here in Russia, what if he called every HVAC company and was like, hey, I want to get together with you and 
talked to their owner and what XYZ HVAC and said, I, I want to have a conversation about what your business is doing, what my business is doing. And we don't have to sh- trade any or share any trade secrets, but let's just talk about what we're doing in the community together. By and large, how much better would HVAC be in our community? Like, you know, what, what, what would change in, in, the, in that whole ecosystem? So I, I had a very similar feeling around tech, just the companies that were providing IT services, the companies that were developing software, the companies that were um, relocating here or locating here, um, you know, from other states or other cities. I was like, somebody needs to really grab these folks and put them in a room and get them to just start talking together. Um, very similar to how I would pr- approach a situation where if I had a group of people in my organization that didn't see eye to eye or just didn't talk to another group of people in my organization, what what would I do? Well, I'd get everybody in a room, I would facilitate some dialogue, and I'd let just natural progress kind of take its course, but at least people would start talking. Talking's always a a, a great way to to get things moving. So I, so I did this with my competitors, about three quarters of them. No, actually it was about two thirds. Uh, they agreed to get together and talk. The other third said scram or didn't return my phone call. And that's cool. I get it. A lot of different perspectives on talking to your competition. So I talked to, to these folks. I was just like, hey, I just bought this business. I've been around in this industry for a long time. We know each other. You know, what, what are you guys doing? Here's what we're doing. What are you finding in the market for recruiting? Here's what we're finding. Um, do you see customers buying this way? We see customers buying this way. What are the types of customers you plan on targeting? Here are the types that we plan on targeting. Um, what's your succession plan? Here's the succession plan we just went through. And I found that we instantly created just enormous common ground. And we could be competitors in a community. We could go head to head, like on deals and like the strongest survive. Like everything was all good there. But we were now talking, and there was this need almost immediately, like every, every one of those meetings turned into, so what's next? Like, how do we keep this going? And so building a technology conference, because nothing had existed prior, was really important. So we pulled it off our first year uh, in 2017. We had about 250 people show up. It was awesome. We had one of Simon Sinek's uh, speakers, this guy Heath Slaughter, come in. He did the keynote. He knocked it out of the park. He killed it. And people told us that they loved it. So I was like, all right, well, and I said right on stage at the end of that, at the end of the day there at the tech conference in 2017, I was like, we'll be back next year. Make sure you get your tickets. And sure enough, we put it together in 2018. We had even more of our competitors. We had even more vendors. We had two keynote uh, presenters, Kristen Hadid and Alex Benayan. And um, full day event, and, and the Chamber, Rochester Chamber of Commerce approached us um, prior, and they said they wanted to partner up on it because they really believed in it. And sure enough, we got 350 to 400 people at 2018's conference. And so, you know, 2019, we hope to get over 500 people. We hope to now start pulling in from Buffalo and Syracuse. And um, I think it's a really important thing that we're doing and, and it's funny because I don't even think we get much recognition for it. Like, I don't think people think of it necessarily or think of innovative as a thought leader. I think it's just like, we've got to do this because it's, it makes us stronger. And quite frankly, it makes, it makes all of the water rise, all boats rise. Like, like we, we're not in the business of like 
shooting everybody down. I've said many, many times before, you know, with a water analogy, I believe in blue ocean. I believe that you go out into the market, it's your opportunity to create new market. Like, don't worry about the market that's created. I mean, unless you want incremental growth, I want exponential growth. I think every business does. Well, the way to do that, I mean, there's many that have gone before. There's many companies that have gone before that have shown you do that through creating new opportunity in the market. Don't worry about, you know, competing over table scraps. Like that, that is pointless, pointless, pointless. Let's all be in this together and, and do amazing things and find our place in that. And that was the, that was the reason that the tech conference was so important to me. Um, you know, if we never put our logo on it, Great. I mean, I, that didn't matter to me at all. Uh, it still doesn't matter to me. It, it's amazing to me. Uh, you're talking about the the, the tech conference. Uh, one of the one of the key principles of conscious capitalism. One of the four tenets is this stakeholder orientation. You know, balancing the needs of the customers, the community, the employees. You know, the environment. If that's you know part of your uh, you know part of what what you're impacting, and one of the kind of next level pieces of that stakeholder is. Can you see your competitors as stakeholders that that, you know, rather than fighting over the pie, how can we grow the pie together? And I think you have uh, this this very evolved consciousness as a leader, you know, that mentality of of not going win lose. It's not zero sum. It can be positive sum for all of us. Um, But also, you know, you've you've used this this conference to say, okay, yeah, if we want to retain talent in in Rochester, you know, as a whole, as a tech community, um, you know, we need to focus on culture. So, so many of your many of your speakers, you know, the, the the Simon Sinek's of the world, or actually, you had Kristen Hadid, who was also at the National Conscious Capitalism Conference. Uh, you know, so so you're talking as well about, you know, how do we build more conscious cultures, essentially, in those tech companies in Rochester. And so, as much as you believe, and I agree that um, building that tech community and getting Rochester known for tech is a is an economic development strategy. I truly believe that having Rochester be be thought leaders and and you know leaders in creating more conscious organizations is also a a strategy for recruiting the best talent, retaining people in Rochester, and that's really a, a big piece of of this podcast. And so, uh, you are you know just moving to you're you're growing, you're moving to a, a new facility uh, at the time of this recording, and and for those that are listening when when this uh, is first released in early January of 2019, we'll we'll soon be visiting your your new facility with with our conscious capitalism monthly meeting, and and one of the things that that growth has allowed you to do, and that new facility has allowed you to do, in addition to I'm sure there'll be you know cool shiny new things to see, but one of the most exciting pieces for me is that this new space has allowed you an opportunity to incubate other companies. And, and similarly, not only is there that, that tech focus of how, how can you incubate future growth of tech companies, but you also have this focus on building culture, um, on building more conscious companies. So, so what are you looking for? You know, if, if people are listening and they're like, oh, wow, that, that sounds interesting. Tell us a little bit about the incubator and, and what are you looking for in some of those potential entrepreneurs for the incubator? So Rochester has some great incubators. I just, I need to always level set. We, um, so we don't actually think of ourselves as an incubator and I, I never wanted to be an incubator. I think the, to, to build an incubator and then to create an environment that really supports a thriving startup community 
you need people that r- totally understand how to build incubation. And I don't. I don't have any expertise in that. What I know how to do is bring people together. I'm always open to sharing ideas. And I have this amazing culture that has been built around me. And I love to share that because I think there's elements of it that people can take into their own business. So my vision was, all right, I got friends leaving town. They've started a startup. There's no capital here. They need to go raise money in Boston, Austin, Silicon Valley, wherever. That sucks. I have um, this really interesting client base that wants to get to market through a variety of technology solutions. They want to get there fast and they want to get there inexpensive. Um, And so writing custom code or creating customized cloud solutions or trying to figure out how they can build their own IP isn't always the right answer. And we do a lot of that for our customers, but it dawned upon me you know what? I, I kind of have these these two things brewing that are around me that I, I got to figure out a way to, to balance. And I, I've got to see if this fits in, in our vision. And so about a year and a half ago, through a lot of conversation and a lot of research and visiting incubators and startup facilities and co-working spaces around the country, uh, everyone from WeWork in New York and Chicago to um, I visited a set of, um, of startup incubators in Las Vegas and out in Silicon Valley. I wanted to understand what was happening with startups after they left an incubator. And so what I discovered was startups, they, they need two things after incubation. They need good market acceleration, so they got to figure out a way to be revenue positive for the long haul quickly, and they need to figure out a way from the beginning on how to create a sustainable culture, not make a lot of the typical mistakes you would make as, a, as an early entrepreneur just trying to get people around you that believed in your mission but couldn't really execute, or get people that could execute but really didn't fit into your mission, or vice versa, you know, ongoing. So... I was like, all right, I've got this opportunity to invite startups, maybe to co-inhabit in my space after incubation, so after they leave NextCore or after they uh, leave Venture Creations. And I've got, I've got space. I've got really cool people that are brilliant that I mentioned earlier, my employees that love understanding new technology and helping other people. Like It's in their DNA. It's why they're, they're, it's why they're part of Innovative. We wouldn't have hired them if it wasn't. And... I've got um, I've got this startup community that's looking for help in Rochester. So what if I just opened my doors and said, hey, startups, if you're leaving an incubator and you're thinking of maybe going somewhere else or just kind of doing this on your own, uh, you might want to look at Innovative. Take a look at our space. I'll let you actually co-inhabit with us for free. I won't charge you any rent. And I'm not going to take any ownership stake. So I'll have no equity in your business, zero. And I know it sounds too good to be true, but here's the deal. I have a customer base that wants to get to market with technology solutions, and you have technology if you're a tech startup. Um, I want to figure out ways to introduce you to our clients so that we can help you develop your product maybe in ways you never even thought of or you would never even have had the opportunity to. It's a win for you because now I've created a revenue stream for you. It's a win for our customer because they got to market quicker and they've got a sustainable product because you've obviously already built it if you've been in an incubator and you've got innovative to support it and tie it all together. Win, win, win. Why, why, are, we, why are we talking about anything else? 
And so I, I pitched the idea to a few startups about eight months ago, and they were like, yeah, let me get a taste. And so we have four startups with us today because that's all our old office could fit. Um, and they co-inhabit in our space. And they're some, one, of my, one of my guys had said to me, said, hey, Justin, you know, we're all family here, but they're kind of like distant cousins. You know, they're still invited to everything. They still get the free lunch. They still get to take advantage of all the amenities. But, um, you know, they're, they're like cousins. They're fam, but we just don't see them maybe as frequently. I said, yeah, that's actually a great analogy. So uh, we're on that journey, and I'll have as many as 12 startups in our new space um, uh, this coming year in 2019. And we could not be more thrilled. It's, um, it's, it's also done this other really interesting thing. I have a few folks internally – I mentioned earlier, I, innovative pumps out entrepreneurs. Like a lot of people leave our company, they go start their own business. Mm. I'm like, I'm re- really proud of that. I'm really happy for them. Not that we, not that we did that for them, because it takes a lot to do on your own when you start your own business. But I'm like, I'm so proud that people have they've gained from the experience and they've had the courage to go do that and and done it successfully. I'm I'm thrilled that kind of through this process, I've also created this opportunity for some of my current employees who have entrepreneurial tendencies to now start to think about their idea or a couple of ideas that they've had about starting their own business. And they've seen what some of these entrepreneurs have gone through or how they've built parts of their business. And so they have a much deeper appreciation, which uh, which is good because it'll it'll convince somebody out of wanting to be an entrepreneur real quick once you see what an entrepreneur goes through if, if, you, <laughs> if, you, if you can't stomach it. But it also is incredibly inspiring to the entrepreneur that's like, I want that. I cannot wait to get there. And I want to, again, I'm just going right back to it. That's all I want to do. I want to help people. As long as you're better than when you came in, it's all that matters to me. Yeah, well, you, so I, you know, you know, you know, I do leadership development and yep. really focused on building culture, and so I appreciate all that you do to to really live that. But also, I know that sometimes I'll talk to small businesses or startups, and they're so busy focused on you know on on growth or or, or turning a profit, which. Don't get me wrong, very important, you know, elements of running a business. Um, but they, they maybe they, they, they're like, oh yeah, we'll get to that culture thing eventually. Yeah, I buy into it. It's important. But, um, you know, Covey talks about the difference between the urgent and the important, right? And, and mm-hmm. culture is, is very rarely urgent. You know, you're not going to notice until much later on that, oh shoot, we've got, you know, all these different behaviors that have built up and these norms that have built up. And now it's going to be a little bit harder to change. So it's certainly easier to start off in the right direction, but getting these leaders to, to think about it and be intentional about it from the get-go can be a challenge. And so I'm curious, the people that end up joining you, do you need to do any, any convincing to get them to, to care about culture or um, are they people that are already generally bought in, or, or you know, what, what does that look like in terms of the culture focus of your of your incubator? I don't think that they've thought about it honestly, and I think when we talk about it, I have to first define what culture is, just in our own language, and the the common language we use internally is culture is just it's a bunch of people with a common set of goals and beliefs. So, if you can wrap your mind around that, the question to every one of our startup resident startups is. What are your common goals and beliefs? And and for the employees that you're hiring now or you're getting ready to hire, how are you going to communicate that through your behavior? How are you going to communicate that visually? How are you going to communicate that in written form? 
what what things within your product you know exemplify those things that you believe in and i think that's always a first step and i don't think quite frankly i don't think it's a conscious step i think it's one that we found the four startups that are with us today they each have kind of navigated that in their own way um but what's starting to happen now is that they're they're starting to see the things that we're doing and they're thinking to themselves okay Justin gets up here every Friday for 15 minutes. He talks to all of his employees. And there's some days Justin probably isn't just feeling the greatest because hmm. he's a human being and he has days that he's tired too. But you know what? He gets up there every day and he goes all in, 110%. It must be important. Or uh, Jamie, our VP of people, is getting ready to... Uh, welcome a new employee. Man, she's had a really long week. She still went above and beyond, moved the start date up for that employee, made sure that that employee's onboarding experience was exactly the same as every other person, even though she could have just delayed some of those things a week or two. Or, man, Jeff is sitting over there, our VP of client experience, and that guy is so laser-focused on what the customer is saying and what they're doing, but he doesn't necessarily take it to the nth degree where he reads it as gospel. He's always still sitting there in a challenging position, and he works with the innovative employees to really understand. These are things that the that the startups, when I meet with them on a monthly basis, these are things that they'll literally say to me. Because I'll ask, like, what are you getting out of this? Because if you're not getting anything out of this, I, th- why are we doing this? And it's amazing what they pick up on or what they see or what they want clarification on. Like the, the Jamie thing I was just discussing, that was an overheard conversation that the, that the startup could only hear parts of. He said he wanted just more clarity. He's just interested in that. Like, that's what it's about. That's where, that's where we're really getting to it, and I'm super proud of it. Yeah, as as you should be. This is this has been an absolutely fast, fascinating discussion, and and for those that, uh, like I said, are listening when we release this, uh, you can join us on January fifteenth, five thirty to seven thirty. We'll be at Innovative. You'll get to see. Uh, all of the things really in practice that Justin is talking about and and see what the what the you know space looks like but also what the culture looks like and I, I do want to want to start to wrap up but I'd be remiss if I didn't at least ask a little bit about your own personal journey because you certainly have a very evolved mentality uh, in terms of leadership and I'm wondering you know I'm always trying to get more leaders to get that kind of mentality so is there anything that you can point to is it is it books you've read or mentors you've had or, or what has helped your evolution on this on this journey towards what I'll call conscious leadership, but but really this this culture focused way of of leading your organization? My life was um, was very different in uh, my early years of my career, and I mean by what I mean by that is I had a very different perspective on. Uh, Building a business, serving a customer, building an employee base that really cared about what they were doing. And I I had to learn along the way through a lot of failure and a lot of loss um, what that uh, what that really meant underneath it. And I'm um I'm naturally I'm a very curious person. I told you I'm not a high IQ guy. I'm a, I'm a, let me perceive the world around me. Let me take it in and let me process that. And and let me work with it kind of guy. Like that's my DNA. And, um, 
so you know, I, I read constantly. I read a book a day. Like I've always, always, always felt like there isn't enough to learn. I, I love rereading books. So I have, you know, these these bookshelves in, in our office and I have multiple copies of virtually all of the books on the shelf because my intent is to make sure that everybody has an opportunity to also learn. Like you see a book that's interesting, you like the colors of the of the cover. I can assure you every book on that shelf has done something for me mm. and can help you. Uh, I mean, I've, I've kind of filtered it, right, through through my lens. But nonetheless, I, I, I love sh- sharing that. And I love exposing myself to people around me that are also living the live rounds, as so to speak. There's a guy, Joe Marone, here in town. I reference Joe a lot because Joe helped me in a really important part of my career when I was going from becoming a... Uh, I was I was an individual contributor. I was moving into a leadership role. And for any of your listeners who are going through that process or have gone through that process, it is a very, very difficult thing to do. And I think a lot of leaders, um, I think a lot of leaders don't give themselves enough credit for how hard that is if you've ever had to make that transition. But, you know, Joe, Joe was a guy that um, he would have the hard conversations with me. And, you know, Bob Titus, my mentor for many, many years at Innovative, you know, he constantly showed compassion and, and she's so much patience with me uh, over the years. But, um, you know, my parents who, who loved me and continue to love me, you know, to the end of the earth, like if you can't, if you can't treasure those around you that really do care about you, if you can't accept help, which I think is a really hard thing to do. Um, I think you can only go so far. And I, I've I've had some good fortune, but I've also I've taken up on the opportunity. When somebody's there to help me, I've I've gone all in. Um, and I have no problem sharing my opinion and my voice. But um, having good people around you that love you, care about you, and really want to see you succeed, but have gone through it and can share some of those stories and, and lessons learned. I don't, I don't know how else you do it. Mm. I, I really don't, unless you get lucky. Well, well, you know, reading, reading a lot. Um, I, I think that that curious learner's mindset, yeah. you know, never, never coming into a situation where you think you know everything, you know, learning from your employees, learning from your mentors, being, um, being open to that feedback. And, and <laughs> I work with a lot of leaders and, and one of the, on, on a 360 assessment that we use, Almost always, or one of the lowest scores is is asking for feedback because we're afraid to hear it. And it sounds like it sounds like that's not the case for you. So you know, even just even just having the curiosity to to ask for feedback, um, you know, a, a few kind of nuggets of of what you were saying that I think are just really key to to growing yourself mm-hmm. uh, as, as a leader in your in your organization. Any other kind of little bits of wisdom or, or, or bits of advice for for those that maybe see all that you're doing in the community and, and say, "Gosh, that that's really." something that I'd like to shoot for? Yeah. I, you know, an interesting thing that I've I've gone very deep into uh, recently, and I'm, I'm working really hard on this. Um, again, I, I think if you're not constantly going through the journey of self-exploration, I, I really think I really think you've, you've hit a wall. I don't, I don't think you really can go further. But one of the things I'm going really deep on um, is focusing on my state and like really where I am in my own mind. And and to that end, challenging the beliefs that I have about myself or my potential. 
And I found through a lot of the work I've been doing that focusing on where my where my frame of mind is, like like I was in New York today and, and I, I flew in early this morning and I knew I knew I was gonna be tired today. Like I, I just knew it, right? So I'm I'm on the plane. It was a bumpy flight from New York here. I land, catch my Uber back to the office at 8.30. I'm like, man, this has the potential to be a really shitty day. Like, I don't know if this is going to go well. Instantly caught myself, thought about the state I was in, thought about what I was telling myself regarding my, you know, five and a half hours, six hours of sleep the prior night, which is never good for me. I need at least seven or eight. And I said to myself, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this together on my Uber ride. I'm going to have a fantastic conversation with this Uber driver, Cheryl, that was incredible. And I'm going to walk in the office, and it's going to be all good. And I'm going to make sure I go into this interview with Andrew today, and I'm, we're going to knock this out of the park, and it's going to be a really enjoyable conversation. I'm not going to get emotional and cry, because sometimes I do that. And that'll be the next time. We'll have next you back time. for a exactly. Cry. And you know what? If I can see my parents tonight for dinner because they're in town, uh, and and share some love with those around me, mission complete. Just focusing on my state at that point at eight thirty this morning when I was sitting at the airport and just about to catch my Uber, and then consciously throughout my entire day, making sure that I didn't dwell on the fact that I didn't get enough sleep, that I'm super tired, that my back hurts a little bit, that I've had this crazy week so far and it's only Tuesday. Like all of those things, they consume us. They really get into our head and it's super easy to go down that rabbit hole and then just let yourself derail. Um, and I have found again, and I'm on the journey like everybody else that focusing on state, man, Wow, what a difference. What a difference not only can you make in your day, but your life can completely alter. I mean, really, really can. Yeah, yeah. You know, I talk about talking about emotional intelligence is, you know, a key to to success and and being able to have that self-awareness of what is my emotional state yeah. and then the self-regulation of being able to if if you're not in the right state to to change that attitude and yeah. I talk about it sometimes like uh being the difference between a thermometer and a thermostat, right? Like you, you yeah. throw the thermometer up on the wall and the thermometer doesn't have any control over the temperature. That's great. It's just the good stuff that happens yep. or the bad stuff that happens, your your mercury goes up and down. The thermostat's like, no, I need to be at 70. And if, if things are going on that aren't great and I'm not at that temperature, what do I need to do to get there? I love that. And so I think it's really important when you're building your emotional intelligence, you gotta be, as you're mentioning, checking in regularly. You have to. But then in the more regularly you check in, maybe you notice when you're you're just at like 71 degrees and you need to make a little adjustment versus waiting until you get to 80 and you're just had like three days of not a lot of sleep and terrible, yes. terrible days. And then it's really hard to regulate. So freaking true, man. All right. All right. So this has been uh, just truly a pleasure. Last uh, last words from you. I'm just curious. You're a really innovative, uh, gosh, sorry, no pun intended, no no really innovative thinker and thought leader. What What's the future for, for innovative solutions? Are you, what are you dreaming about? You know, I, I dream all kinds of crazy stuff and I scare half of our employees with some of the stuff I dream up. But uh, in all seriousness, you know, I, I look forward to our growth and continuing to help clients and bigger clients along the way, smaller clients along the way. Like I, I see this, this opportunity of clients of all sizes, engagements with those customers that really push us outside our comfort zone creating really extremely fulfilling work for our employees 
and helping us grow this business to a point where, honestly, Andrew, I, I wonder when the day will be where somebody taps me on the shoulder and is like, eh, Justin, you know, you've, you've helped us grow this thing, but we kind of like need a real CEO in here to like do this. And I'm, I'm cool with that. Like I, I alluded to it earlier. Like I play a role today and I'm happy to play that role for as long as the organization needs me to play that role. But the day that comes where I don't need to, I need to step out of the way. And it, I can't say that like I'm super excited about the day where like I get replaced, but I'm super excited about the day that I create an opportunity for the company to to go to another level that is beyond me. My goal is that we're that our business and our people are written in Wikipedia one day. And everybody knows that around our office. Like that's my goal. It's like the one thing like everybody can visualize and we laugh about it. But when that happens, like everybody knows it's kind of mission complete for me. Like We've now been recognized for doing something that was truly innovative. We lived up to our name, the name that was given to us in 1989 by the founders of our organization. And if we're going to innovate, we've got to alter an industry. If we're going to alter an industry, we've got to be people-centric. And if we're people-centric, everything will happen. We all win. And so if I can help us get there, and whether that's a five-year journey or whether that's another 50 years, I'm happy to contribute and um and I'm you know I'm looking forward to I'm really looking forward to those good days that, that are in front of us. I look forward to the crappy ones too because they they're the days that give us perspective. They they help us appreciate things a lot more and that's that's where you learn a ton and and you're not going to always have good days. You're going to have really crappy days too. Um so I, that that's for me. I mean you you asked me a really loaded question about the future. <laughs> um I just, I hope, I hope we grow, man, and I, I hope we do it in the right ways. Well, you know, yeah, the right ways. That's really interesting, and and maybe maybe we'll have to come have you, have you back in a couple of years because I think one of the one of the biggest struggles is when you're growing and trying to scale is making that culture scale right. Like yeah. you're 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 a growing company, um, but but those that growth can put some there, there's growing pains involved. There's an element of what what happens when you don't know everybody's name anymore, or can't you know you get to the point where employees? you can't do one on ones and, yeah. and scaling that. So so why don't we I was going to leave that for the last question, but it may be too early to ask it. So, so how about we have you back in a couple of years and talk about, you know, the, the struggles and the challenges and, and what it's like to scale that culture. Cause I know that you really value it. Um, and I know that it's probably going to be a learning process moving forward of, of how to do that. So, uh, for for those again that are that are listening in in real time, uh, this is going to be released at the beginning of January and on January fifteenth. It's a Tuesday, five thirty to seven thirty. Um, we had plenty more to talk about, but the good news is that we'll have a, another two hours with Justin to get toured around the facility, hear from uh, some of the things that he's working on. Uh, you can come with questions of your own. We'll look forward to seeing you then at our Conscious Capitalism meeting uh, Tuesday. January 15th, 530 uh, at Innovative Solutions. And where's your where's your new location that people should be? It's uh, it's the old, or prior, I should say, uh, Kodak Sales and Marketing Center. A lot of Rochesterians know it as that. Um, it's located at 4545 East River Road in West Henrietta. Uh, so it's at the end of Lehigh Station Road and East River Road, about a mile south of RIT. Um it is an absolutely gorgeous campus. Uh, there's some incredible technology companies going in that will be our neighbors here soon and, uh, and, and one who's already located there, uh, but it's right along the Genesee River. It is serene when you drive there, when you park, when you get out, when you're walking around. You don't even feel like you're in Rochester. Uh, 
the the money and the vision that Kodak had in building this facility back in the late 60s, early 70s uh, was truly, truly amazing. And what's incredible to me, it's funny, um, people will visit our office and they'll be like, oh yeah, I've been here. I'm like, really? And they'll be like, yeah, when it was Kodak, I, I had training here. I had, you know, they, they, they reminisce. And so there's, a, there's this really nostalgic piece to, to the location. And um, we did our best in our location. We, there's four buildings on the campus. We have one of the buildings uh, to, to, to it houses just us. We did our best to preserve the history of the building and honor the original vision of Kodak in innovating and truly being a remarkable company for so many, so many years. Um, you know, Kodak gets a lot of flack for what they are today and what they could have been or what they didn't do. Um, you know, I, I look at Kodak and it wasn't a company I wanted to go work for in high school because that era had already passed our generation. So I, I look at Kodak as this amazing company that was here that people around the world know Rochester for. And if we don't honor that memory and and everything Kodak did and the and the really hardworking people that built that organization and many of which still live in our community. I I really think we're doing a disjustice. Uh, and I you know I don't even own Kodak stock or anything. Yeah. I don't want your listeners to think anything other than uh, I believe preserving history and respecting history for what it is is uh, it's a really important really important part of any community or, or 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 place that you live. Well, honoring the past, but also reinventing Rochester for the future. Um, Justin, I'm really grateful for your time today, but more importantly, really grateful for all that you're doing in Rochester to to not only reinvent, uh, but also be be a part of really that thought leadership for conscious capitalism in our community. And I look forward to to touring the facility and, and look forward to seeing how Innovative will continue to grow in the future. Thanks. I really appreciate you having me on. I, uh, I, I couldn't be more thrilled. I, I love the dialogue. And if you ever uh, yeah, if you ever would like to have me back on as a guest, I, I would be honored. It, I really, really do appreciate it. This episode is brought to you by Wicked Squid Studios, Rochester, New York's premier podcast development team. The Wicked Squid family brings ideas to life through the art of audio production. From custom jingles and creative services to studio memberships and educational curriculum, their outfit strives to empower all members of society to build a more equal and colorful world. Learn more about their operation at wickedsquidstudios.com.